0: Game of Thrones Season 6 is over, but we're just getting started answering your feedback here on the Game of Thrones Feedback Show, here on Post Show Recaps, and now here are the two guys who are going to be bouncing around Westeros faster than Varys. I'm Rob Sestrino, and here is the great Josh Wiggler.
1: Moving so fast. Yeah. Going from point A to point B in record time, here we are talking about Game of Thrones, The Winds of Winter, two days after the finale.
0: Not even two full days after the finale. Josh, have you come up for air at all since the finale? Since I last spoke to you?
1: (laughs) No, not really. Yeah, I've just been living in Westeros for the past two days. It's It's a dark time to be here right now, given everything going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went, I went to check out what you had been up to and I went over to THR.com slash Game of Thrones and I really was just blown away, uh, <laughs> much like a resident of King's Landing, at the number of articles you had filed up on HollywoodReporter.com.
1: My brain feels like it's been set ablaze with wildfire. <laughs> I, I love Game of Thrones so, so much, but I am totally ready to, to, to pull out. To just well. Deep, well, come on. Come on now. Yeah, I can't be held responsible for what I say
0: here. OK, but I'm, I'm ready to walk away for a little while. But perhaps the coup de grace, a Sophie Turner interview.
1: Yeah, how about that? Why is she very hard to pin down, you think?
0: Well, I think that, uh, I mean, she's basically one of the, I don't want to say core four, but I definitely feel like a uh, top, top five, five baby. baby. yeah, Top
1: five baby. I think she's in the mix there. I think she's in the running. Competing uh, yeah, for no, a s- spot on the Thrones Mount Rushmore. Sophie Turner was a delight. Uh, she asked me to call her S-Dog. <laughs> S-Dog. I told her she could call me J-Dog. Yeah.
0: And then we started talking about how she fed Ramsey Bolton to dogs. I also thought that, uh, very notable, felt like she shot down the Sansa is pregnant thing pretty hard. Yeah, she shot that
1: down right away. Um, You know, she was talking about how I had asked her if we should be concerned about the look on Sansa's face after she feeds Ramsey to the dogs. Is this something we should be rooting for, or is this something we should be afraid of? Uh, She says maybe a little bit of both. Um, but it, what's what could be troubling about it is that maybe she has a little bit of a killer instinct, uh, a little bit of a taste for killing at this point. And I said, Is that part of, you know, does that tie into what Ramsey said in his final words that I'm part of you now? And she's like, Well, do you mean that literally or figuratively? And she went off on a little bit of like, Because I don't think the pregnancy thing is happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she's shot that down. That's out the window as far as Sophie Turner is concerned. And I'm on her side on that. I think the fact that it wasn't even remotely addressed here in the finale. As I've been saying before, like if we didn't get a real strong sense of it in the finale, I think we can probably assume it's not happening.
0: Do you think that Sansa is the new Cersei? Do you think that maybe that she ends up like maybe going off with Littlefinger? Littlefinger is the new Robert Baratheon and this season. This show sort of ends uh, in the same sort of structure that it started.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't I don't think that I mean, probably not. Right. I don't think that that's where we're going. I don't think that we're gonna get to a situation where, you know, Littlefinger's pretty little picture in his mind is actually going to be painted in reality. Mm -hmm. Uh I think it's much more likely that Sansa is somehow involved in Littlefinger's downfall than it is in Littlefinger's rise. Um, but I don't know. I mean, stranger things have happened on Game of Thrones. Maybe this was the season of the good guys winning. And now it's going to be back to business as usual. And everyone's just toast.
0: Because I do feel like after reading your interview with her, like I definitely got that thing about where Ramsey says to her, I'm part of you now, where she definitely has that sort of streak in her. And I don't know exactly where that's going to like, maybe it just means that, okay, oh, she'll eventually kill Littlefinger, but I don't feel like that that was uh, that's too much of a leap. I just wonder if maybe she somehow has been corrupted.
1: Well, it was great to kind of get to talk to her and sort of see where she was coming from in terms of the scenes with John. You know, like where John is, he's announced as the new king in the north. And Sansa kind of has this moment where she's looking at Littlefinger and people are starting to wonder, "Uh uh-oh, where is this going? And she, Sophie Turner, really clarified where Sansa's head is with that. You know, there's the conversation earlier in the episode between her and John about we need to trust each other. We have so so many enemies now. And for Sansa, she feels that Sansa is frustrated by this conversation because it's more John saying to Sansa, you have to trust me, and not admitting that he needs to trust Sansa more. Um, And not really owning the idea that Sansa really saved his butt by bringing in Littlefinger and bringing in the Knights of the Vale. And John is sort of the guy who's getting the glory, and he's getting... He's getting everybody, you know, standing up and hooting and hollering and calling him the king in the north when she really feels like she was the one who saved the day and she's kind of getting lost in all of this. So I don't know how long Sansa will really hang on to that as something she wants to chase down in a nefarious way to kind of try and drive John out of a position of power. But I think that we could get some of that in season seven. And one of the interesting things that Sophie Turner says is that she trusts John. Sansa trusts John to do the morally correct thing, but doesn't really trust him as far as a politician goes, as far as someone who has to make the hard calls. I think as a viewer, we could probably get behind that based Mm -hmm. on how emotional and impulsive Jon Snow has been.
0: So we've got a lot to talk about here on the feedback show. we got a lot of questions to pour through, but the, maybe the top story at this hour might be that it's awards season, Josh. Oh,
1: yeah. I almost forgot. No. Top story. How could you forget? I'm just kidding. I definitely did not forget. The Throners
0: are imminent. Yes. They are on the rise. Now, is there concern that potentially at this year's big gala Throners event... That there could be a stockpile of wildfire <laughs> beneath the stage at the event.
1: I think we have to be alarmed about this. I think that we need to have this on our radar for all live events going forward. You just don't know when there is a smirking Cersei Lannister a few miles away watching you from a window, chugging wine. <laughs> you know, really just like all but like grabbing <laughs> that jug of Carlo Rossi and just pounding it to the face. <laughs> and watching and waiting for you to be consumed with wildfire i do think that we need to up our security here as we're going into the throners
0: yeah all right wow watch out for little
1: kids too
0: yeah can't trust them no kids allowed at the throners no children no women no children as they say in the in uh in old town so then we have the throners are happening so for the uninitiated what are the throners josh
1: The Throners are our annual award show. This is how we close out every season of coverage of Game of Thrones here on Post Show Recaps, where we will honor the season that has come behind us with votes and fun and silliness and shenanigans. It's a great time. DJ Sammy Slayer is there. You guys are responsible for the vote. You go to Throners.com or TheThroners.com. You cast your votes. You place your votes for all these different categories. We have 14 categories in all, many of them familiar, a couple of them new. You get to choose your favorite characters of the season, your LVPs of the season, best fights of the season, best episodes, storylines you're looking forward to, all sorts of stuff. It's really, really fun. It's one of the highlights of the year for me. I can't believe every time we get to a Throners that's like how I mark the passage of time in the past. Wow. Like, oh, we're already up to the Throners. This year flew by very quickly.
0: So this is year three?
1: Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, what is it, A-T? <laughs> After Throners? Or it's at Thron- the end of 2-A-T. ATT? Then, yeah. Yes. We can rebrand, right? We can take that back.
0: Sure thing. All right, so then we have all of that coming up, the Throners Award, so uh, get your votes in, and when is the deadline for so people can vote up until?
1: Throners is coming up real soon this year, so the voting is actually a pretty short window. You only have until July second, uh, so just a couple of days. You really got to come in quick. Got to get in there hot while the while the voting is is hot. You gotta yeah. you gotta really just run at it.
0: Yeah, uh, don't so be farting closes- around. Get that ballot in.
1: That's right. So the voting closes on July 2nd. You can do all of that at thethroners.com.
0: Yeah, and don't be like one of these voters that just go, go just goes and casts your ballot and don't really look at what it means, like uh, this Brexit crowd. Just go through, study the ballot, you get one vote, that's it. We're bringing Brexit into this?
1: <laughs> Is that what's happening? To keep this topical. All right. Try yeah, well, topical. or dating it.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it is 280. So that's, you know, we are very dated. All right. So I love 280. It's been a great year. Josh, uh, let's get into some of these feedback questions, uh, to which there were many,
1: to which there were many to AT which there were many. Uh, We are talking about a lot of stuff. I mean, the winds of winter was a massive, massive, massive episode. You know, really hard to imagine how we could have followed up Battle of the Bastards with something that's potentially even bigger. Not in terms of the scale of any one scene, but just overall, big picture, so many things happened here. Uh, I think the probably the best way to really realize just how crazy and great of an episode this was, is that we found out about Jon Snow's true origin, uh, that he is Lyanna Stark's son and not Ned Stark's son, yep. and probably Rhaegar Targaryen's son, and that is maybe the third coolest thing that happened in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sign of a great night. Yeah, that's a really really positive sign. Uh overall just so happy with this episode. There's a great vulture piece uh right now by Matt Zoller Seitz who talks about this season of Game of Thrones as possibly being the best season of the show. Uh, I don't know if I'll co-sign that, but one of the things that Matt writes about um, is that this is, you know, this whole, there was sort of a period of, there was a lull in the middle section of the season, and it really was just like the rope that was being lit. The fuse was being lit for this powder keg of a final two episodes, much like the wildfire situation at the top of this episode, and I really do think it blew up in spectacular fashion in a way that just about everybody who is a Game of Thrones fan should be able to get behind.
0: So who was Lancel Lannister? in that situation <laughs> I don't know all <laughs> Who is the of us- person
1: <laughs> <laughs> all of us who were like really out on Game of Thrones season 6 around the Samwell Tarly dinner party yeah uh- no
0: we wanted it to blow up I think it was everybody else who were the Game of Thrones haters I think oh, that so- they were trying to get the candle to blow out maybe George R.R. Martin <laughs> yeah He's like, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Please, please stop blowing
1: things up. Please don't do this. And of course, it's just a little bit late. Can't get there on time before things explode.
0: Yeah, boy, those kids, uh, really, this was a, a very evil plot to, you know, stab Lancel and give him a chance to be able to blow the candle. Yeah, yeah no chance. Really, this was uh, like Bond villains that they really just gave him <laughs> enough of a fighting chance to like, let me stab him and then we'll run out of here. We've got about two minutes until the candle blows up. That, that's not enough time for him to get over there.
1: I mean, we know that kids are the worst when it comes to Game of Thrones. Like, this is, you know, public record at this point. Very well established. You've got your ollies. Those are really standard. Tommen is an awful king. Joffrey is the worst human. Just such a bad Mm -hmm. guy. And now we have an army of children assassins who are just murking people. Just really terrible. Murking people. Oh, my
0: God. Uh, So those kids, though, I mean, were they kamikaze participants in this? I don't think that they got out. No, I think
1: they. I think they did. Oh, uh, that was a big they, explosion.
0: I think they tried. I mean,
1: that kid might be real fast. Was Drogon waiting, standing by <laughs> to get them out of there? They had a Druber on standby. <laughs> I think the kids that killed Pycel are fine for sure. And then that one kid who stabbed Lancel, I do wonder. I think he went do down wonder, with the ship. He may have been, uh, I mean, I'd have to roll back the tape, but maybe he got, uh, maybe he was the one who got squashed by the bell.
0: Maybe, maybe. (laughs) All right. So, so much to uh, talk to So where do the questions begin?
1: Yeah, I think we should start in King's Landing. Um, I think for my money, that's the greatest thing that happened in this episode. You know, they they front-loaded it. It was a very, very big situation there. We've got a voicemail from Heather who wants to talk about an aspect of the King's Landing story that maybe we didn't talk through so much on Sunday night. Hi, this is Heather from Tempe, Arizona. Why did Qyburn need to kill Maester Pycelle? Wasn't Pycelle headed to the trial anyways? And therefore, he would have been blown up by the wildfire blast. Also, did Faisal's prostitute ever get paid? It's a good question. It, it's really that last part that I think that we need to focus the next 40 minutes on.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, yeah, so let's like break it down. <laughs> well, the crown is in debt. So I don't know. Do they have that kind of money on hand? I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I
1: can't imagine that Cersei is really going to be eager to pay this woman. No, probably
0: not. Probably
1: Not really, doesn't really fit with her history.
0: <laughs> Although a Lannister does always pay their debt, so I'm not sure if necessarily if they had some sort of corporate account, I think that technically would be a Lannister debt, no?
1: But do they pay
0: Grand Maester Picel's
1: debts? <laughs> I don't know. Or is he, you know, freelancing on his own budget?
0: He might have been on the Baratheon budget at that point. So okay, mm-hmm. but let's not get too far uh, pulled off from this. So in terms of in terms of the first part of the question, what do you think?
1: Well, I I do wonder about this. You know, I think it it feels to me like like it's personal. Um, and I think one of the great mysteries of Game of Thrones. And I'm even going to walk it back. Maybe not one of the great mysteries of Game of Thrones, but one of the underrated mysteries of Game of Thrones. One of the things that is um, kind of going unreported, I think, is what does Maester Kyburn want out of all of this? Mm -hmm. What What are his interests? Who is this guy? What does he really want? We know that he is capable of some extraordinarily dark stuff. He's the guy who brings the mountain back to life. Uh, he, you know, he creates this zombified version of the mountain, somehow more hardcore and awful than ever before. He seems to take extraordinary delight in the creation of such a character. Um, he's very much Team Cersei for whatever reason. Really backs her up. Is really on board with what she's doing, and really wants to stoke the flames of her wildfire. Is seem you know when he says the rumors are more than true there is so much you know glee on his face you know it's really kind of like that there's just a, there's just this feeling that he is really very into this but why why is he so into this what is it that he wants and why does he have to kill Piscel part of me wonders if it's just i want to look the guy in the eye as i take his job away like it's not enough to know that this person is going to get burned in wildfire I want him to see me, his successor, who he does not seem to be too impressed with. I want to watch the look on his face when he knows that I'm going to be the new Grand Maester. It's going to be Grand Maester Kyburn's turn to move this thing along.
0: Yeah, he basically saw Cersei as this sort of fallen star that he was able to be able to bring back as like her manager and take her back to the top. Yeah, I think so. So I don't know if he has a nefarious position in terms of Cersei and, and maybe Book Kyburn is certainly different than show Kyburn, but I kind of feel like that this guy on the show, like I think he has Cersei's best intentions, or at least his own best intentions are mutually aligned with Cersei.
1: I mean, I don't think that he's, you know, little fingerish in the sense of, like, I want to sit on the Iron Throne and I want the mountain by my side. Like, I don't think that that's the picture he's painting in his head every time he makes a decision and he wants to actualize that vision. But I think that he might be a guy who's just extraordinarily twisted Mm -hmm. uh somebody who rather than you know being very excited about cersei ascending the throne because yay good for cersei i'm so team cersei i think that he might be a little bit like the joker who's kind of like i'm team chaos uh, i'm just you know i just want to watch i want to watch the world burn i want to you know set that stack cash on fire <laughs> yeah, i want to watch the world kyburn
0: <laughs> but do you think that he has some other ulterior motive besides just becoming the maester of king's landing
1: i don't think we know enough about him to say that um i and i and i think ultimately no my i and i feel like game of thrones just doesn't have a, enough time left to really have this like final act reveal that maester kybern was the guy we should have been watching for the whole time Mm -hmm. had like these great machinations on how he was going to steal away the throne um but i do think that if he has an ulterior motive it's not so subtle to me that this is a guy who just really likes to watch things fall apart uh and really seems to delight in death and darkness and being team cersei means getting that stuff uh so i think if he has another motive i think that that's the one
0: very powerful ally for Cersei. Basically her only ally. Yeah, well, this is a great, you know, that
1: leads us to a great question from Brendan Fitzpatrick. Uh, Is there anyone left in the world that Cersei can align with? Does she have anyone to even lead the Lannister army? From the look he gave, I'm not even sure if Jamie's up for that.
0: It doesn't seem like there are many people that could potentially be in the mix for Cersei to work with. She's kind of burned a lot of bridges and cities and tunnels and bells and seps.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yes. I think that she has caused so much damage, not just to King's Landing physically and to the people in King's Landing as well but I think that she has just caused so much chaos politically. She has seemingly burned every single bridge with every single house that she is connected to, to the point that Brendan's right. I don't know how Jamie feels about Cersei anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple episodes earlier, he's telling Edmure Tully that everything I do, I do for Cersei. I love her more than anything. But the look that Jamie is giving Cersei as she's being crowned suggests that maybe he's like, I immediately regret this decision. You know, it's like this feeling of just regret and not feeling good about what his sister slash lover is up to. Uh, so if she can't even count on her own twin to be her friend out here. Then she really probably can count the amount of friends that she truly has on, you know, one hand and doesn't need all five fingers.
0: But for Jamie, do you feel like that he knew instantly what happened when he sees that King's Landing was set on fire and Cersei is taking the Iron Throne? Does he know like, oh, yeah, she must have done this and killed Tommen in some way? I, or is it like this is pretty weird. Why isn't why isn't Tommen around? I think at this point he knows that Tommen's
1: dead. Um I think what's less clear to me is what's the story surrounding Tommen's death? Um, yeah. Is it is it known that Tommen leaped to his own death? And beyond that, is it known that Cersei destroyed the Sept of Baelor? Or are these things that somebody like Jaime Lannister can you know glean from his knowledge of Cersei? Can he just figure this out from what he knows of his sister? Does he know that she caused this incredible catastrophe? And if so, does he know that and killed himself because of what Cersei did. That I'm not sure about. I think that's something that's going to have to play out in season 7. That's one of the questions in between season 6 and season 7 is what is the what is the state of King's Landing in terms of their views of Cersei? Do they think that she has just gone through this overwhelmingly enormous tragedy and they're rallying behind her? Or do they think she's a terrorist and they are now being led by this terrorist who they are deeply afraid of and so they're not going to lash out against her. And I think maybe Jamie's having those questions as well but at this point i think there's no doubt that he knows uh that really awful things happen to Tom and and cersei is at the very least at the heart of it
0: for jamie i bet cersei has talked about this before i bet she has probably said in passing ah i would love to just blow up this whole city like burn them all like i think that she that 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 stands out in his mind too I, i think that he probably it's not that far from his imagination to think that sounds a lot like the mad king
1: yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree with that. I think what's, what's curious to me is like, what does everybody else think? I think Jamie is probably piecing that together and I think that the Jamie Lannister who we've come to know over the course of the past few seasons is not a guy where that's going to sit especially well with him mm-hmm. uh, and you know there is that theory out there that you know it's now confirmed Bran can see the future that's a that's a story that shouldn't go underreported because Bran's visions included this explosion of wildfire when he was you know being dragged by Mira through the woods and he's finishing his final visions that the Raven gave to him uh, he sees the wildfire explosion so if we're gonna you know project from that a little bit further and there's that shot in those visions of jamie stabbing somebody i've said maybe that's cersei you know it's possible that that's cersei stabbing with his left hand i think popular opinion is that that's the mad king that he's killing and we're just repeating the kingslayer moment i think that that could work as well but i still think that there is there is a road that's being built, in my opinion, that leads to Jamie Lannister killing Cersei at some point
0: on this show. Mm, right. And I think that there is certainly a case to be made in uh, prophecy and things like that, which I don't know how much you want to get get into. But it, I think conventional wisdom would probably lead to Jaime is going to kill Cersei at some point.
1: So how about this question? There's the scene where Cersei sees Tommen's body, and she's with Maester Kyburn, and Maester Kyburn's like, eh, you don't have to look at it, but she looks at it, and she's kind of cold and unflinching about it, and Kyburn says, what do you want to do with the body? And Cersei says, we should, you know, he should be with his family. Uh, We know that his family has been buried at the Sept of Baelor. The Sept of Baelor doesn't really exist anymore. Mm -hmm. She says, burn him and scatter his ashes at the Sept of Baelor. Is there anything to the idea that she is setting up some kind of narrative that Tommen was there and that's going to contribute to this narrative that woe is me, Cersei ascending the throne, uh, support me because this was an awful thing that happened to me as well?
0: I mean, I'm not sure who necessarily she's trying to fool with that because, I mean, it's not like uh, I don't know if it changes the story at all. How do you feel like that that would be different than he committed suicide?
1: Um, I think that it would be different from committing suicide if she is trying to pawn this off on somebody else. If she is saying somebody attacked the Sept of Baelor and she is now trying to rally King's Landing against another section of Westeros. Maybe the North? As we know, the North is currently on the rise and Sansa is there and all of that is brewing over there. Maybe Dorne? She has no shortage of enemies over there. Could she be using this as a cause to pin the blame on somebody else? And could that be her next move? Or, and again, I think this is the question. Is she just like totally fine with dropping the mic and saying, yeah, I did it. And what are you guys going to do?
0: I'm in charge. Yeah, I think the second thing. I think okay. that that is where she's going with this. And I feel like that you got a lot from Benioff and Weiss in terms of like inside looks. And, and and we might have touched on this a little bit on Sunday night of the idea of what is Cersei capable of now that her kids are gone, where the only thing that sort of humanized her was that she had her kids, her love for her children. That's gone. And now I think that she is just ready to be the biggest villain that maybe we've seen on Game of Thrones.
1: All right. This question is from David Bream, who says, where does that opening sequence of King's Landing getting torn apart by wildfire rank in terms of the all time great sequences on Game of Thrones?
0: Pretty high. I can't think of anything that's off the top of my head. I mean, maybe you can get into some of the stuff from Hard Home, but I mean, and, and obviously from last week as well, but I think Red Wedding got to be number one. Mm hmm. Right. Red Wedding a lot going on there as well. I think that maybe I mean visually as far as effects go, I, this is probably it's between this and Hard Home I would think.
1: Yeah, and just like gorgeously edited again the score that's going behind it, you know, sort of this like Philip Glass sounding score of music is really delightful. It's just like unlike anything you'd heard before on Game of Thrones. A lot going on with this scene. A uh, very layered scene and it's long. They really build out the tension in a really kind of uncomfortable way but you Mm -hmm. like you like being uncomfortable in this case
0: yeah no it was a brilliant way to open an episode right uh where do you want to go next wherever uh let's see i mean we've got everything there i mean we have uh the danny storyline i mean they think that that's a huge moment of danny heading to westeros
1: this is good yeah (laughs) it's it's great that this is happening yeah can you believe this is actually happening? It's actually happening. All right, well, let's talk about Danny. Uh, we have this from Peter. Peter says Peter Baelish? Peter Baelish, Patire. Danny is finally heading to Westeros. Is there anything that can stop her from conquering the Seven Kingdoms? Is her army just too stacked for her to lose at this point?
0: Yeah, it's really stacked. I don't think that she's going to lose at this point. Between everything that she had in her favor, plus the dragons, plus the Dornish, plus Highgarden, I can't imagine that Euron Greyjoy, with the ships that he's just built up, are going to be able to stop him. I mean, I think that maybe the Euron's forces are is the one area where stopping Daenerys and that fleet, they, he might be mutually aligned with what the Lannisters want to do. So that's one potential ally for Cersei and the Lannister army but outside of that no i don't think anybody can stop them
1: yeah that's i mean that's awesome that's great because you want to see Danny conquer things but i mean it almost makes you feel like this should have been you know the second or third to last episode of game of thrones you know <laughs> mm-hmm. like at the point that Danny shows up with all these things in play Doesn't everything just get wrapped up super fast if there's nothing standing in her way?
0: Yeah, it does until you remember the Night's King and that whole thing. Because I think that that's going to be... Sure, I think that Cersei and her forces will probably fold pretty easily when they get overwhelmed by this conquering army but they have a, another major nemesis to deal with in the north and i'm not sure necessarily how dothraki and unsullied are going to fare in the snow
1: but what about the dragons because the dragons can't they just like finish this up in five seconds or are we overblowing the dragons potential here in their ability to destroy the white walkers with enormous amounts of dragon fire
0: I don't know necessarily if we have the information where we've sort of logically connected the dots like, oh, white walkers and the whites, they don't like fire. Dragons can breathe fire. So now we just have to fly the dragons to north of the wall and then they'll take out this whole threat. I I don't think that the show has really connected those dots yet. Uh,
1: This is from Alex Pence, who says, are we ever going to see Dario Naharis again? No. You think that's it? Totally done. We're completely out on Daria. I think it's done. How do you get it back? I think so, too. Uh, follow-up question. Are we done with Essos? I mean, I threw that out there on the live show that it's possible that we'd never see that part of the world on the map again in the opening credits. Uh, do you think that, you know, with... Danny leaving Essos behind. She's gone. She's done with the Bay of Dragons. She's moving on to Westeros. Dario is back there. Is there any reason that you can think of to go back there narratively?
0: I don't think that there's any reason to go back there narratively, although Jorah could potentially still be there and we might see him. I also could see in the first the 90 episode... The 90-minute
1: Jorah Mormont flashback. Yeah,
0: I could see in the beginning of next season them being stopped over in Volantis or something like that. So I would not say that we will never see another. Scene on the continent ever again, but I think that for the most part, I think that our work here is done. Do you think Jorah Mormont just like emerges? Could he emerge? Possibly. I think that if if you get him, I think you're going to get an emergent <laughs> Jorah Mormont. I think that it would be great to see him, that we have seen now what's going on with uh, Lyanna Mormont, that it would be great to see him eventually head home as well. So I think that there is some reason, some business for him to do back in Westeros. So that would be great to see him back home with the 62 fighting Mormonts. So, oh my God, now 63. 63 now. So send him home. That's how fast he
1: was going, not 65. Mm -hmm. Uh, How how about this? This is a suggestion from uh, Sir Sir Brendan of House Fitzy. Uh, Why didn't we get Jorah last night? Where is he, and how might he pop back into the story? Is it possible that he's at the Citadel and could meet Sam? What do you think about that? He needs to find out the cure for Grayscale. Uh, Where would you learn information that might tell you a thing or two about how to cure mysterious diseases? I don't know, maybe that gigantic honking library... Uh, in the you know in the middle of old town, that might be a good place to start your research,
0: yeah, until you get to the point where it's like, hey. Hi, uh, so I have the uncurable disease, or a seemingly uncurable disease, grayscale, highly contagious. Can I just come in and use the library for a well, bit? Well, why would here? he
1: announce that? Wow.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think it's like the public library where it's Wear just
1: long like, sleeves, and at this point, you better
0: have changed your shirt because it was very dirty and ripped up. They even gave Sam the business that Sam had to basically say that, hey, I'm a maester from— I, I don't know how Jorah Mormont is getting in other than well, he just kills this? them. That guy
1: well how about this not for nothing the reason that sam gets the business is because they're saying hey last i checked uh aemon targaryen was the maester at the wall and Jayor mormont is lord commander so mm-hmm. what if you know jorah shows i was like hey i don't know if you know who i am but my dad is oh, Lord commander yeah of the night's watch and you know he said like i needed to borrow a book for him so can i do that
0: that's good. It just seems like a big leap to me for Jorah to say, like, oh, the Citadel. I should go and check out where all the books are.
1: it <laughs> would be great. I would spend an episode of just watching Ian Glenn read books in a library. Yeah. That I sounds so. like his Downton Abbey arc.
0: Sure. Yeah. So you could send him there. But I feel like that probably I think he's more likely to be in search of like a red priestess or something like uh-huh. that.
1: <laughs> it's probably more likely. I think so. Uh, This is from Joseph Fields who says I'm a big Tyrion Lannister fan But I was very disappointed that we just didn't see so much of him this season Was this Tyrion's weakest season yet?
0: It might be his weakest season yet. And really, he did not have a great season in terms of what his job was. Like really, Daenerys, he, he kind of like failed his way up the ladder here with uh, the Targaryen forces. I, he did not give the best advice. Yet Daenerys is like, you know what, Tyrion? I think that uh, you're doing a great job. You're, you're going to be my new number one.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, he stalled things for a while. Uh, You know, he kept the peace for, you know, probably a couple of months or so. Uh, everything was good in Meereen until the slavers returned and then they were dealt with very very swiftly so maybe just like it's the illusion of success Uh, and you know I think there might even be something there you know Meereen is more prepared for coming together now than ever before and it's thanks to some of the tranquility that Tyrion was able to bring into the city
0: Boy that is a very optimistic view (laughs) of what he did like you (laughs) negotiated this horrible treaty in good faith that our at uh, did not acknowledge and you held them off long enough for them to attack us and then we were able to conquer them once they started attacking us so uh, well done you get pr- a promotion yeah that's how it works in life right I guess so but typically I- I don't want to go uh, too far down this rabbit hole of exploring the real life parallels of this. So let's just move on.
1: Are you happy to see
0: Tyrion as the hand of the queen,
1: though? Do you think that this is a good sign for what season seven could have in store for him? If this was a lighter season for Tyrion, do you think that this could be a bigger season for Tyrion in this new role by Danny's
0: side as they go to Westeros? Josh, season six is the season where we got everything we wanted. Of course, we're happy that Tyrion gets promoted to the number one for Dan. We got to see back in season two, what a great job Tyrion could have been as Hand of the King, only to have Tywin rip it from him after Blackwater. So now Tyrion gets another shot at being the advisor that we always thought he could be. So obviously, uh, this is uh, great news for Tyrion and great news for us.
1: But I think just in terms of looking at season 7 and the possibilities of what season 7 could bring for Tyrion if this was the weakest season for Tyrion I think that's probably right uh, you know mm-hmm. he had some excellent moments, Peter dinklage had some really great moments, uh, not the least of which was in this finale. I think the way that he played that scene opposite Amelia Clark when when Danny turns um, you know and and decides that that Tyrion is going to be the hand of the queen uh, that was really excellently done, but there just wasn't a ton there for him this season. It felt like he got a lot of time off this year, yeah uh, but I think moving into season seven he is in this powerful position, that storyline is on the move and you have have to imagine that one of the first stops along the way, or at least a fairly early stop, is going to be this confrontation between Danny and Cersei, and who has a great adversarial relationship with Cersei. Uh, Tyrion versus Cersei would be a huge deal. Cersei, who has just lost her final child, still blames Tyrion for killing Joffrey. Knows that Tyrion killed Tywin. I think that the deck is really stacked for a very interesting Lannister family reunion. We've talked a lot about the Stark family reunion that seems to be coming together. Jon and Sansa are together. Arya is back in Westeros. Bran is coming down toward Winterfell, you got to imagine. That's all great. Can't wait for all of that. But I feel like underreported just how juicy the Lannister stuff might get.
0: Yeah, and we talked about what the relationship could be moving forward between Jamie and Cersei, but do you think that maybe coming out of that, what do you think is in store for Jamie Lannister? Do you think that by the end of this, he's in line for a full face turn where Jamie Lannister is going to eventually join this Daenerys coalition with Tyrion and that the two Lannister brothers end up sort of working side by side to help keep Daenerys? on the throne
1: yeah i mean i think it i i don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility um i think that i like i said i think that we are building to a place where jamie is going to kill cersei so if we're going there anyway if that's the direction that we're moving in because jamie is going to be so repelled by what cersei is doing or for her own good he has to do this or it's just the sacrifice that needs to be made if he's learned anything from his time on the road with brienne And has become the honorable guy that hopefully he has, um, you know, presented himself to be, then I think that, yeah, I think that you could see him getting on board with Daenerys Targaryen. And maybe that could be redemption in a way, that he killed the Mad King and paved the way for a pretty good queen, you know, for Daenerys to emerge from the Mad King's shadow. So I could see that. I could see, I mean, there's some, there's some reparations that need to go on there. Uh, Jamie is not so fond of Tyrion right now. Jamie let Tyrion out of jail and then Tyrion killed their father and Jamie has sworn that the next time he sees Tyrion, he's going to kill him. So they got to work on that first. Uh, but I feel like, I, I don't know. I don't know about you. You can you can tell me if you feel differently. But I think that we're going to see a breakup between Jamie and Cersei that probably doesn't end with Cersei doing so well. And I feel like you get Jamie and Brienne back in the same space together at some point, And Brienne seems to be north.
0: Okay. And do so you think that Jamie ends up going north as part of the whatever fighting force goes to fight the White Walkers? I think everyone's north
1: by the end of this thing. So if Jamie's still around by the end of the story, then yeah, I would assume that he's up north. Wow. Okay. We'll have to see.
0: A lot going on there.
1: All right. How about this? How about another person that could be flocking to Danny, and this can move us away toward a different storyline? Let's take this voicemail from Podrick Racer.
0: Hey, guys, what do you think the chances are that Melisandre makes it down to Daenerys' crew and fills her in on Jon Snow and greases the wheels for an eventual Jon Snow Daenerys union?
1: All right. What do we think about this? Melisandre has been exiled from the north. She's been kicked out of Jon Snow's service. She has to figure out her next move. Melisandre, you know, we've seen Red Priests already flocking to Danny. Is that going to be Melisandre's move to go and meet up with Daenerys Targaryen and say, Hey, Daenerys Targaryen, you sound pretty great and your dragons look awesome. And I think they'd be really beneficial in the actual war that's going on that you are very much needed for.
0: I'm not sure who vouches for Melisandre, though. I'm not sure why necessarily she gets an audience with Daenerys at that point. I I don't see Melisandre's next move as necessarily being, oh, let me head for King's Landing and go see what's going on there. I, I don't know where she... It seems like that she has a collision course with Arya in mind, but unless it's the new Arya and the Hound, Arya and Melisandre, uh, oh, I hate Cersei, I'm going to go kill her. Like, well, okay, well, I should go and go to King's Landing, and why don't we, you know, share a druber on the way there. <laughs> yes, a druber pool. It just seems like really out of the way for Melisandra to head to King's Landing and at this point from Winterfell.
1: I mean, I think you actually just sketched out something that isn't completely unrealistic. Mm -hmm. I think that you could see Arya wanting to go to King's Landing next as her next move if she's just crossing names off her list rather than stopping up at Winterfell. Uh, You know, she's killed Walder Frey and now she's going to move on and she is going to kill Cersei. That would take her directly to King's Landing. Uh, So if we think that Melisandre and Arya are on a collision course, and I think a lot of that stems from the line that she gives to Arya back in season three, we will meet again. Um then why couldn't it be in King's Landing?
0: Let me ask you another question about Jamie Lannister. So Arya had no interest in killing Jamie Lannister while she was at the Twins? While she was undercover. Yeah. That's another funny thing too on
1: the rewatch. When you go back to that scene at the feast at the Twins, there is um you know, we know that Arya is posing as a serving girl. That same servant passes by Jamie. Uh, and clearly doesn't want anything to do with Jamie Lannister. I guess that she I don't know, does she just smell the good guy on him at this point, or he's not on her list, so she just doesn't want to bother?
0: I'm not sure, and I'm trying to think of her interaction with Jamie Lannister, and I'm not sure if she ever crossed paths with him, certainly.
1: Other than the beginning of the show, right?
0: Yeah, in, in, I mean, in, in, the, in the pilot, and she's crossing paths with Tywin Lannister, and that's at the point where Jamie Lannister is captured by Rob's army, so I don't think that they're ever in the same place at the same time. So maybe she's just very discerning in terms of which people she's going to kill and which people that she's like. Ah, eh, I'm not too worried about that person.
1: But if she's trying to draw out Cersei, wouldn't be such a bad idea to at least maim Jaime Lannister?
0: Yeah, you would if think not outright kill him. Any Lannister would be probably high up on her list, but for whatever reason, Jamie Lannister was uh, cool with Aria. All right, well, let's get back to Melisandre.
1: This was a question, or more of a comment, a statement from John Rumsey, who wrote in and said, I have no idea why people think Melisandre got off easy. Sure, she did some bad things, but she did bring John back from the dead. I think at this point, John either has to believe the Lord of Light had something to do with his resurrection, or it does not make sense. I think John has to cut her some slack for that. And as far as I remember, she was on Arya's list at some point. So maybe that gets interesting if they meet up.
0: Yeah, so for John, why he's so unforgiving towards Melisandre, I think he's just conflicted. He doesn't know what to do. And this was sort of like him punting on that decision of like, uh, could I leave her around or should I kill her? Like, uh, just get out of my face.
1: It's like my friend S-Dog pointed out that John is not so great politically. Mm -hmm. You know, his leadership choices are a suspect sometimes. He let all of the wild things through, and then he got murdered for it. I mean, great to bring them through, and I feel like that was the right thing to do for sure, but he didn't sell it very well uh so yeah i think questionable choices are made by john i think he valued davos more heavily in this moment um this probably could have been a thing where you could throw Melisandre into a cell for a little while and stew on the decision for just a bit before you do anything rash especially when she brings up a really good point of like the great war is coming you know that i've helped you before i can help you again here how about you take a second and think about this uh, and he doesn't. But, you know, that would be out of character for John to really think things
0: all the way through. And she says, I wasn't lying. I was just wrong. It was really like the weatherman attitude uh, about this uh, prophecy. It's like, uh-huh. I didn't lie to you that it was going to rain tomorrow. I just I didn't get it right. So I don't know.
1: I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I think I think there are things that could have been done here for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
0: mean, Jon Snow, his brain is not why we love him. No, it's his uh, beautiful face. Beautiful face, kind heart, right? Brave spirit, the
1: abs, Mm -hmm. but not the brain, right? Not so much. I can see again. Like this is a testament to the fact that the Winds of Winter was such a killer episode that we are only now about to start digging in to the R plus L equals J thing. Uh, you know, let's finally start talking about the fact that John's parentage was revealed at least halfway. But I think you can connect the dots enough to figure out that Rhaegar Targaryen is John's father. Um, this is a voicemail we have from Jack from Maryland uh, who asks kind of the next logical question now that we know about Jon Snow.
0: Hey, Robin and Josh, it's Jack from Maryland, and this week we got the big R plus L equals J reveal, and it was awesome. My question for you guys is, when and how do you think John finds out this information for himself? And when it becomes known to more people, do you think it affects his standing as king in the north? When Liana Mormont was making her big speech in support of John, she specifically noted that the blood of Ned Stark runs in his veins. And while that's technically true, it's not in the way that everyone else thought. Do you think this could mess anything up for him? Let me know what you guys think. Thanks. Good question.
1: All right, so let's take that in two parts. When and how is John going to find out what we already know, that John is not Ned Stark's son, that he is Lyanna Stark's son, and very likely Rhaegar Targaryen's son as well?
0: Well, who else has this information? That's a real good question, I think, to start off this with, because Ned knows, but did this secret die with Ned? So does Bran need to get back to Winterfell for this information to potentially get out?
1: That's, you know definitely one of the biggest possibilities on the board certainly Bran is the guy who just discovered this information he is heading south toward the wall he is going to presumably pass through there assuming no white walker army destroys him in the process uh and if that happens then i think we really got to take issue with benjamin stark for not dropping him off closer mm-hmm. uh, so i think that brand is probably getting to winterfell next season uh, there's a weirwood tree at winterfell so he can still do his crazy trippy you know flashbacks through time he's going to be able to do all of that so that's going to be great
0: well how about um, this if bran gets to castle black can he send a raven to john at winterfell is that possible a three-eyed raven two-eyed <laughs> raven whatever yeah. your pick
1: yeah he sends a two-eyed raven and what does it say john i'm alive heading to winterfell soon can't wait to see you congrats on becoming king of the north p.s dad's not your dad bro <laughs>
0: hmm yeah well i think good news Turns out you're not actually a bastard. Uh-huh. You are a Targaryen. Well,
1: isn't he also kind of a Targaryen bastard then? <laughs> unless, unless Rhaegar and Lyanna were married, and Rhaegar was married at the time, so I think he's still a bastard.
0: Yo, a bastard in Game of Thrones, is that technically out of wedlock, or if you have two highborn people... Is, is, is that where the bastard comes from? Or I mean, just, I think
1: that makes him like a really awesome bastard. A great you're an bastard, awesome bastard. <laughs> a great bastard. You're one of the greatest bastards there ever was. Yeah. Yeah. You can take some comfort in that. Uh, so that could be a way, I mean, you know, cl- clean up the language a little bit and make it a little more Game of Thrones poetic. But that could be one way. I think that Bran is a very, very likely, probably the likeliest person on the board to share this news with John. And then there's another theory. This stems more from the books, uh, but, I mean, there's precedent for it on the show now. The character Howland Reed was featured in the Tower of Joy flashbacks. He's the only person there other than Ned who was not killed in that battle. He is Mira Reed and Jojen Reed's father. Maybe there is a reason why he is sending his kids off to protect Bran on this journey north of the Wall. You know, Ned is going to emerge from the Tower of Joy with an infant in his hands. You got to imagine uh, Hal and Reed being like, hey, what's with the kid? And is Ned improvisational enough to be like it's mine Mm -hmm. found it that's why we were really here my secret son was here the whole time and now you you know this is what's going on Mm -hmm. or is Ned gonna say yeah my sister was in there she just died she gave birth to a baby and now we have to protect it because it's secretly a Targaryen so does Howland Reed have this information and is he a new character that could emerge in season seven to deliver this news to Jon and why now Because John is king in the north, because people are rallying behind John, because everybody seems to be gearing up for this great war against the White Walkers here in the north, seems like information that Hal and Reed would want to pass on to Jon Snow at this point. Seems like, you know what, kid, you're old enough, the fit has hit the shan, time for you to find out the truth, and I'm one of the last living people, if not the last living person, to my knowledge, who could give you this information.
0: It seems like just a bit of a stretch to me that Hal and Reed will have this uh, major significant part. But I mean, if Benjen Stark is back here in the mix <laughs> at the end of season six, I guess who knows?
1: Yeah, I think it's not impossible. And I think that you have an opportunity for fun casting there. I mean, we don't really know where things are going. Our knowledge of the situation based on the books is so much more reduced now than it was at the start of the season. And it was already fairly reduced at that point. Um, so, in terms of like new characters who could show up, not many, you know, there's not, it's not easy to really predict who could possibly show up on the show at this point. But Howland Reed is somebody who could appear, and that feels like you could get an Ian McShane type for a one off or a two off, a two mm-hmm. off. Yeah. Uh, I think is not impossible.
0: But what is the significance of Bran having this information if Howland Reed is going to deliver this to John? It's just so yeah. we know.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, maybe it's just so we know, but you would think that it's so that Bran can have a purpose and be like, hey, this is a thing, and now let me go into the tree and figure out more things that are going to be useful for us.
0: Mm -hmm. And just to speak to Bran and what's his job moving forward. Okay, so he's the Three-Eyed Raven now. He has this piece of information. What's his role in all of this moving on to season seven? He's the guy who
1: can go back in time and see that the children of the forest created the White Walkers. So, I mean, he was guided there. It's probably going to be harder for him to find, you know, you know, cherry pick these very important images. I think he's going to have to spend a lot of time studying raw tape before he gets to the edited highlights. But he could find a piece of, you know, historical footage that will show him how to defeat the White Walkers potentially.
0: All right. So we'll see uh, where Bran's next stop is going to be.
1: We'll see where that is going to go. And how about this question also from Jack? Uh, Since Ned's blood doesn't run through John's veins, is that going to be a point of contention in this whole King of the North thing?
0: I mean, it could be if Sansa gets that information or Littlefinger gets that information. So if we're going to have some sort of a battle for Winterfell, but... Is that really what Sansa wants? I mean, we talked about that S-dog that she feels like that Sansa doesn't necessarily trust John to make the best decisions, but is she power-hungry, too? I don't know if
1: she's, like, power-hungry enough to topple Jon Snow like that. Or how about this? I hope not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I hope that's not where we're going. That would be disappointing
0: to me. Like, it makes sense to me if she is looking out for her own safety that I don't want to get in the car with this guy. I love him, but he's a terrible driver, and I don't trust that we're going to get where we need to go, as opposed to I need to be the driver, whereas you would get in the car with somebody who you did trust. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I. It's hard for me to say.
1: I'm a little murky about where things are going for Sansa. You know, she does exchange this look with Littlefinger and it's disappointing and it's discouraging and you don't want her to side with Littlefinger. You want Sansa to be cool and on the level and maybe she's just going to use little finger and that will be great but i love uh, but Littlefinger. i love little finger too but i ultimately i want Littlefinger to be you know annihilated by white walker so mm. something awful something awful has to happen to him only if it's like the second or third to last episode of the show you want him around for at least that long but i don't think you want santa's end game to be i'm going to team up with Littlefinger and we're going to run this thing
0: yeah probably not that does not seem like where the ending to the story is going
1: i don't think it'd be great all right well let's start wrapping up and let's take this uh let's let's move on and talk about one of Jon Snow's friends who would have been so excited that Jon became the king in the north in this episode but was not around to see it Samwell Tarly three episodes total for Samwell Tarly the scene weakest season yet for Samwell Tarly
0: oh, forget boy. Tyrion but he had such a strong finish to the end.
1: It was. It was very, very good. And Rob, I know that you are very dialed in with what's happening in the Game of Thrones community. You're reading articles. You're looking up theories these days. Absolutely. Have you, have you seen the big ones surrounding Samuel Tarly this week?
0: The thing about the big light fixtures yes. at the library? Yes. So people have been screen grabbing the big light fixtures that hang up in the library at the Citadel and said, wait, hold on. These are the things, these gyroscopes, which you see in the opening credits to Game of Thrones. And it really does make you wonder, is this something that was sort of reverse engineered of like, hey, what are these things anyway in the opening sequence, which has been there since season one, episode one? Or was it that they made the credits from – was this some vision that George R. R. Martin had of these things that hang up at the Citadel?
1: Yeah, it, you know, who knows? It's it's tough to say. Uh, but it's it's really cool. It's a great detail. It was sent our way by a few people. A hobo Monkey had written in, as with much of this episode, I found Sam's story visually breathtaking. And did you notice that within the library, the golden orb that hangs above the books was the same sun-like orb we see in every opening sequence of the show? So a bunch of people noted this. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing some theories that are saying like this means that Samuel Tarley is going to be the guy who recites A Song of Ice and Fire for decades and decades to come after this thing and he's chronicling the story and we are seeing this from his perspective he grows know, up to
0: be george R. R. martin <laughs> yeah
1: well i think george R. R. martin has already been fairly queer that like samuel tarley is not quite a grrm avatar mm-hmm. but i think is you know sort of a similar type of guy at least in terms of his thinking and his purpose on uh in a story like this um but i i mean i don't think that that's where we're going i mean that's very lord of the rings ish i don't think that that's the direction that we are moving in toward. Um but I do think it's interesting and I, I think it you know you kinda have to stand up and take notice that this very important artifact in Game of Thrones that we didn't know was actually a part of Game of Thrones lore exists here at old town and i think he put it really well you know is this reverse engineering it's like hey let's explain that orb thing let's have it hanging out in old town or is it something that they've been planning for a long time and it's a testament to the fact that old town is going to be very
0: important now that we're in it do we see sort of the map that we see at the opening of game of thrones do they have that set up somewhere <laughs> at old town as well Yeah, maybe <laughs> okay. with like all the moving shifting gears and everything that's right that's right That'd be good it's like in space balls when they're like what part of the movie are we watching now We're looking at Now Now. Uh, We're looking at One One. Yeah, that's right. Now Now is his brother. (laughs) Yes. Now Now In the the mirror. In the mirror universe.
1: Yeah. Or is it No No? I don't know how you would pronounce it.
0: I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, Josh, anything else you want to touch on here before we sign off uh, before book club?
1: No, there's always so much that we can touch on. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to tap out here, but we will have plenty more Game of Thrones coming up in addition to the book club. There's the Throners as well. So we will keep talking about this episode and this season uh, through the next several days.
0: So, so much fun to talk through all of this, uh, all these feedback shows, all these recaps that we've done here on Game of Thrones Season 6. I'm very much looking forward to seeing whatever you come up with next on The Hollywood Reporter. You can read that at thr.com slash Game of Thrones. Also, in the Game of Thrones uh, book club. You and Terry Schwartz back this week? Back this week. Tons to talk about. Uh, we're going to start with Frey Pies. Get possibly. hype! Get
1: hype. I would guess, I, I would guess there's going to be a lot of time spent on the Frey Pie. Okay. Mega hype.
0: Mega Mega hype. hype. All right, so so much uh, going on. Are you surprised we didn't see the Hounds back in season six to close it out?
1: No, I'm not. I think that, you know, it was just enough to know that he's still alive. He is probably still Riverlands-ish and therefore can maybe meet up with Arya again, or he is heading north and then he will meet up with Sansa there. So I think it's just enough to know that he's out there and that piece will move closer to the front of the line on the chessboard in season
0: seven. All right. Josh, what's the hashtag? Oh, man. Uh, I liked 2 AT. 2AT. That's the right. Current year. That's the year. That's the year. So uh, there we go. Uh, hashtag two eighty. Of course, the voting is open for this year's Throners as we head into three eighty. You can go to Throners.com for that. And uh, we're not going to wait around too long for the Throners ceremony. Look for it sometime next week. Yeah, it's coming up. It's, you know, uh, Fourth of July week is almost here and there will be wild fireworks. That's right. Wildfireworks coming at this year's Throners. Okay. Uh, follow Josh on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sister Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments. And make sure you subscribe to make sure you're not missing anything else that we're doing here on the podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.